Hey, everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. True Crime Wednesday. True Crime Wednesday. <laughs> Thank you all for enjoying our Jim Jones episodes as they are so far. We'll get back to that in a little bit. But today on the show, we're going to talk about a true crime documentary that's on Netflix. Called, I think it's on Netflix. Yes. Called I Just Killed My Dad. Yes, we are. Yes. You know, it's funny. I, As I do, because I like to see what the Rotten Tomatoes says, because it's often different than what I think, and that amuses me. But the critic ratings on this documentary is 100%. Oh, how funny. Did, <laughs> did, did you, before we get into it, did you like it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, you bet. I thought it was interesting. I mean, you know, not that, not super complex. No, but, no. But I did enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Sky Borgman, who did Abducted in Plain Sight and The Girl in the Picture, um, you know, he's done some good documentaries. So I think, um, Mm -hmm. you know, this, I did enjoy this one as well. I think this one, and I I did choose this one because it really falls in line with a lot of the work that I do in the court system around how we define abuse. Mm -hmm. And certainly, you know, a big thing that has it's starting to evolve and become more of a, a topic of conversation is how how powerful emotional abuse is and how it is left unseen. And when something like this occurs, you know, people go to what is tangible. Where Where's the evidence that he was abused? And, yeah, and I'm going to go into this a little bit. But so yeah. this was a really interesting documentary for me because I felt for what a lot of the psychologists, social workers, and clinicians were describing, and there were a couple of really great social workers and clinicians on this documentary trying to explain coercive control for without sure. saying that. Yeah, for sure. I just want to give people just a little bit of context before we... Yeah, sorry, I was going to do that. We I just launched into to, it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's, it is a 2022 documentary. It's three episodes. It's actually only two hours of your time in those three episodes. They they split it into three episodes, but it's a, it's a quick one. And I don't feel personally like there was a lot of wasted time. So no. that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you see three or four episodes, you're like, oh God, yeah, it was but, to it, the point. but it was good. But mm-hmm. the story is basically that Anthony Templet shot his father and never denied that he shot his father. In fact, he called up 911 and said, I just killed my dad, <laughs> which is the title there. But why he did it is more the discussion that is had through the documentary and then the implications of that and how you slowly come to understand what you may have thought about Anthony in the first episode is not what you're going to think about him by the last episode. For sure. A lot of of trauma there. It takes you through a whirlwind of whether you, you know, believe his story at the beginning. It's done, it's done well. It allows you to go on that journey that that they actually went on, right? That everyone thought, Oh, this kid's a psychopath. And that's what you, you know, anybody kind of looks at that first episode and you're like, oh, well, is this just another story about another kid psychopath? And are we, are we using mental illness to cover up a psychopath? Yeah, for sure. And then what, what's really good and interesting and probably why critics liked it too, is that then it goes deeper and you understand more and then you hear what really was going on in that house that nobody really kind of knew about, or most people seem to not know about or not think about and how the cops kind of slowly realized mm-hmm. what was really going on. And then a really interesting mental health picture, I think. So when we get to that part, I'll 
Okay. But. Yeah, I uh, I would agree with the the way that it unfolded. It it leaves you guessing, yeah. and, and also leaves you in the what sort of reactions am I having, which gives us a lot of information into how maybe juries think and things mm-hmm. like that. So, right. I want to start off with a couple of things. First of all, one of the things I appreciated so much about this story is that it really educated the public on the damage of coercive control and emotional abuse. And so when I use the term coercive control, it's essentially now a legal term for emotional abuse, narcissistic abuse, anybody that has been worn down and worn out by someone for a very long time, complex trauma, relational trauma that stems from a level of abuse. So Evan Stark, who's one of the pioneers in coining that term and changing litigation, at least within the state of California. State of California is the first state in all 50 states to develop the coercive control law. And this is what I am sometimes called to testify on in cases relevant to this state because it's not in every state yet, but we're getting there. Washington just adopted it as well. And so what does that mean? And Evan Stark describes it as when the perpetrator leaves the victim or target in a constant state of contradiction, confusion, and fear. And when you think about those three words, it really makes a lot of sense with the cycle of emotional abuse that is very similar to the physical cycle of abuse, you know, the, the honeymoon, to the tension building, to the explosion or the physical manifestation of whatever that they're doing, punching them in the face or assaulting them in some way. The same sort of dynamic plays out in emotional abuse, but it's harder to identify because we still have a concept of abuse, especially in the legal system, where unlo- the mindset is it's a caveman with a club beating his wife over the head and dragging her into the cave. And if there isn't blood on the floor, which I've heard judges actually say there's no blood on the floor, Mm -hmm. um, then we don't assume or take the situation seriously. And, and, and I just want to point out a couple of things from this documentary where they highlighted this is one, many people don't report emotional abuse because it's hard to qualify. And then if the perpetrator is asked about it, they're not going to be held accountable and now they have knowledge that someone is reporting them. So it's easier, and they talk about this in the documentary, it's easier for the person to lie and say nothing's happening, but then when something actually does that's more tangible or seen by the eye, they go, well, you never reported anything. So the victim is always caught in the position of, carrying the burden of proof. Right. And so before I get too far in on this tangent, because I will talk more about the legal stuff, he kills his dad. And we find out through this documentary that he was taken from his mother, essentially, and raised by this man and his stepmother, his wife, who didn't know all, all along or didn't put together all along that her husband was a complete sociopath. And all of this silent abuse was happening, which led to this boy literally being worn down and worn out and reacting 
Right. And I mean, as a child, you know, as an adult, the stepmom makes a decision to get the F out of there. And of course, says he would have come after and killed us both if I would have yep. taken Anthony. But also, you, you discover that Anthony never really went to school. Right. He, he was, you know, that's the, in abusive relationships, let's say they were boy, you know, boy and boy or girl and girl, or, you know, let's say they were in a romantic relationship, even though this is father son, we would instinctually say, oh, if you restrict finances, education, access to friends, you know, if you isolate somebody completely and basically just did that to his kid, he isolated him completely so he could treat him however he wanted to. If, we, right. if we saw that in a, in a romantic relationship, we'd be like, oh, that's abusive. Mm-hmm. But no one ever said anything. That's right. Isolation, manipulation, constant surveillance, not allowing him to develop appropriately. These are all considered elements of coercive control and emotional abuse, damaging his, uh, the whole develop, all of his developmental stages, emotionally, academically, everything was stunted. So what happens for the target of such abuse is isolation becomes a survival tactic. So he starts to isolate because he, he isn't really living in the world. No, no. And you very obviously, what was so interesting for me, from my perspective is to watch him, and see how, you know, an initial assessment of him when you're just watching him and you don't know any of the context or any of the history or what really happened, you think he presents with no affect, Mm -hmm. some kind of cognitive delay. Mm -hmm. You're kind of like, hmm, doesn't have any emotional language appears to have no empathy, which is kind of what they set you up to believe in that first episode. The lawyer's like, Anthony has no empathy. I don't think he has any empathy. You know, all of this stuff, which could certainly have been the outcome of that kind of upbringing. You know, it tracks just knowing the upbringing. Even once you do know things, that still tracks. But then you learn all this other information, and then you can look at him in the context of all this other material that they present, and it's like... He was never schooled. He was never mirrored, you can tell, which also develops a difficult personality in a kid. So you're still, I think in the end, and and I know you'll talk about this, but in the end, you're still left with the kid could still have a lot of very criminal behavior if he goes that direction. Because Mm -hmm. either way... He was still abused. Mm-hmm. He was still not mirrored and probably has narcissistic injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he still killed his dad. He's still, you know, like all these things, whether we morally or legally or ethically feel it was deserved or not, he still has all of those traits. Sure. So it's, it's interesting because it pulls on you. It's like, as a human, you go like, well, now it's justified, but it's really not. <laughs> so- and, and and we know many people who are abused for long periods of time that still their instinct would not be to kill someone who's defenseless right. because the father was sleeping. Right. This wasn't right. So right. it's interesting to think one of the things that they talk about, I have it written down. So I'm, I'm assuming it came from the documentary unless I was looking up something else. Um, but and it's really just common knowledge when we think about psychological abuse. It's it's this underlying constant psychological threat to the system, to the psyche. 
that lingers until it literally breaks someone. And that's what the one woman was saying. She's like, emotional abuse is a way of wearing someone out and wearing someone down. And I can say that I have seen targets or survivors of this who have been in marriages for 30 plus years and they walk into my office and they literally look like a corpse. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no blood flow. You would think it, and I don't mean this derogatory, but it's like the walking dead. They've been drained. Until they start to do the work and the blood starts pumping back in their right. veins. So, you know, we don't know where his, no, we don't know where his thought process or moral compass or lack of one, or we just know that he was worn down to such a level that I would imagine he was reacting on such primal instinct because all that really had developed was the reptilian brain. Yeah. It doesn't go into any of, he's not, he's not there by the end of this. Like he goes to prison, he gets out or whatever. Yeah. They release him. And so, still young and they're interviewing him of course and you're left at the end of this you like he doesn't have he still doesn't have the emotional language to talk about what happened so this isn't a documentary where you actually learn what was in his mind or why he made the decision he made or mm-hmm. what he was feeling etc there's only really one time in the documentary where you see his feelings and you think okay that seems genuine he does have feelings he's not he's just never ever ever been able to express them so he doesn't know i'm sure he believes that that's not okay because I'm sure anytime he had an emotion, it was beat out of him, you know, emotionally or physically. So you're not really left with any understanding of his insides. You're not. It's very true. And I could see them, you know, down the road doing a second part to this. Yeah, maybe when some time has passed. In where, 20 years. Yeah, to see like what unfolded and what did his, um, you know, did he... Is he then able to articulate more? Yeah, or I'm just sort of, I'm just very, not sort of, I'm very hopeful and want to believe that in 20 years he won't be back in prison for some some other offense. Mm-hmm. But we don't know. I think it's important for people to know, I mean, it's it's. I think it's common knowledge within our field, but I think for people who are not in our field, I think it's a somewhat of a understandably, understandable reaction which is you know why does someone stay why didn't he just leave well there's a couple of reasons one honestly he had no resources he didn't know anything outside of the situation and what we know about trauma bonds is that even if the door is left wide open the person won't leave for a number of reasons but one statistic that I want people to think about is and this happens also in marriages and why a a, a victim will stay is 70 there's a 75% chance of danger homicide included when a victim leaves a situation that your risk actually goes up yeah and this is high. because the abuser then loses control of their target it can actually be dangerous depending on the situation to tell someone to get out i just think that it's something important to consider in this because i think most people would be yeah. like I mean, why did he stay in that but house? But it's a real, it's an actual safety risk. And also, and I'm sure you could corroborate this from your work. The victim knows that. Yeah. They're not, they're not dumb to the idea that they're, that they're being threatened. Right. So that threat is not, you know, made up. 
Yeah. It's it's it exists in their life almost every day, probably in some kind of down low way mm-hmm. and sometimes a very visceral way and a very out and out and proud kind of way. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I would be interested to know. I think there was so much that was left out of his psychology. Yeah. I think it was much more of a legal, you know, documentary, which I appreciated as well. Yeah. Yep. But I dug it. I mean, I think I think more documentaries that touch this subject and do it well are really important. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You said you were going to maybe talk a little bit more about the legal part of it. Yeah. So, you know, when people testify to their abuse or the abuse of their child, so when basically when somebody rings the alarm to that, it actually can be used against them. Because when someone is being abused, the burden of proof falls on them to prove that they've been abused. Now, it's already hard enough to do that with physical and sexual abuse. What we see with emotional abuse is, one, we have judges who are so out of touch, um, a legal system that is completely out of touch, that understands coercive control from an intellectual place. They understand the penal code. They can, they can say it verbatim, Mm -hmm. but they really don't understand the psychological dynamics. Now there are certain jurisdictions now that are requiring judges in the family court system to have mental health training. Mm. And I am really hoping this is the case because what happens is someone rings the alarm, they report this, there's enough evidence and then the abuser goes to therapy enough to get validation from the therapist that their ex who is the victim is crazy pathological borderline trying to alienate them from their children things like that so we work in a system that protects perpetrators and so that's also something to think about when people are just go to court, just sue this person, just get out of the situation. We have a legal system that doesn't get mental health. Right. So it's easy to, I mean, I think probably that when people say, just do something, do something, do something, that's kind of coming from their own anxiety or like need to want to protect you or advocate for you or, well, why don't you just do this? And why do you just don't that and do that? And and I know that it feels black and white on the outside. Mm-hmm. Like that's very human, right? To, mm-hmm. to believe, to be positive in the fact that we all, you know, it's, a, it's actually also a very American perspective too, right? To believe that we ultimately have individual power in all situations. And that the justice system works. And that our justice <laughs> system supports that individual yeah. power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, protecting offenders' rights or protecting people, I should say, accused of a crime and due process and all that, all very valuable. I'm glad we have it. <laughs> and I, so I realized that's where that legal system came from and all of that. But now we're in this place where it's skewed all the way the other direction. Yeah, it's pseudo-justice is what's happened. And now it's it's become so so difficult for those people who have been victimized to not be looked at as overdramatic or trying to work the system where the opposite is 
usually true. So it's complicated, you know, and, and I think that we have to be careful in the advice that we give people, if we give people advice at all, because I know people that have been well-intended and said, Hey, you just need to do this or go report that. And they lose their children overnight. They're in a court battle for seven years. They're completely bankrupt. It doesn't work the way that, you know, it does on TV. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you think about this kiddo, right? Like, Mm -hmm. let's say Anthony, something because we really don't know any of the details of the abuse really because Anthony doesn't talk about it so you're really just getting all this collateral information from this documentary if you look at it in the stark light of day you're hearing this legal story but you're not really getting anything from Anthony's perspective even though he's interviewed throughout and that's because of his lack of emotional intelligence because of what he was been through but also it's sort of like Let's say this kiddo had been 12 or 13 or 10 or 12 or whatever and said to a teacher something that was going on and then CPS gets involved and goes into the home and removes him. That's not always what happens. (laughs) What what usually happens, at least in my county, because I work with that system quite a bit, is that, you know, someone reports and then... They either do or do not go and investigate. CPS decides whether they investigate or not. So you're reporting it because mandated reporters don't investigate. Mm -hmm. You're reporting it means you did your piece of it, Mm -hmm. but they may or may not go out. So let's say they did go out. Well, removal is not like, it's not like CPS shows up to your house and takes your kid unless something very violent happens. Right. Has to be very acute. They come out, they involve themselves, they recommend programs, they have mental health clinicians like the wraparound program that I used to work in come out to your house every week and make your family work with you and your kids and work on pro-social activities and chore charts and getting better and, and helping reunite the family and da 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 and, and evalu- all this stuff. Evaluations take forever. Yeah, and so they recommend services, but then so you now you've got this rigid, abusive father and this blunted, uneducated kid who's terrified, probably, interacting with mental health clinicians no. in their home. You see how that's like either going to get more worse for this kid and more volatile. Mm-hmm. And we all want to think that that would help. But in this this kind of circumstance, not so much. And can you imagine if he had gotten removed? That dad's going to hunt this kid down wherever he is. And then other people get harmed. So... I'm not saying that isn't the way it should have gone. Absolutely, this dad should have been reported and this kind of system in place. But you see how we kind of don't know where that would have gone either and whether or not that would have made it worse or helped or whatever. So this is the kind of thing that victims take into consideration when they make these kinds of things. It's like, that's why people don't, you know, the kid doesn't want to report because then what's going to happen? I don't have a place to live. I'm away from my dad. And I actually love my dad too. Again, well-intended. Very well-intended. Advice people have if the system was perfect. Yeah, and it's never going to be that, of course. So I get why, you know, you can say, well, why didn't the kid say something? Or why didn't it? It's just like, well, that kid's not stupid, even though he's uneducated. He wasn't stupid. He knew he knew what he was supposed he was a to survivor. do. He knew what he was supposed <laughs> yeah. to do and what he wasn't supposed to do, and he was just trying to survive his father until the day came when he decided that survival meant that 
dad needed to go. Right. Which, which is where that glitches and we go, okay, how we go from there to there. Yep. And that's the mystery of this, like you were saying, but, but yeah, you know, we, we know that law enforcement has proven to fail victims over and over, especially with emotional types of abuse. And, and so it, they've learned that it's safer to lie. Yeah. And I think, and I wonder, like, I would think you were saying earlier, like, you know, judges don't necessarily have the education and about, XYZ, many don't. about coercive yeah. control many don't right yeah. so so you take that into consideration and you think okay well that's exactly why psychologists such as yourself are brought in to testify because that's your expertise that's hypothetically supposed to be who they're listening to and the mental health professional in the room is supposed to be the one but because it's considered a quote-unquote soft science these kinds of our kinds of black and white legal system doesn't want to even though they don't want to get the education they also don't want to respect the people that did that's exactly right i mean i've i've given an entire testimony and presented with only facts because that's what forensic testimony uh-huh. you don't bring in well this is what the person's potential is you bring no. in what is there and judges will still decide whether they want to find you credible yep so at the end of the day, the power is still in their hands to decide whether they want to take the education of whoever the expert in whatever field, but they don't like to not be the smartest person in the room. No, tough for them. Yeah. So sorry. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry you have to be collaborative. Yeah. Unfortunate for you. <laughs> That's why sometimes it's almost easier to work with juries because, yeah. you know, the the decision is not just in one person's hands. For sure. So, but it's a great documentary. I think it's a good watch. Yeah. It's a good watch and it's a quick one. A couple hours and it does have an arc and it's well made and all that. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. I did want to also uh, really quick to wrap up the show, unless you had anything else. No. I uh, I wanted to mention that on our Discord, if you're a patron, we have a we have a horror book club, which we would discuss in our horror show on Fridays. But I did want to mention that we're at also um, one of our patrons had the idea and is starting up a true crime book club, which is far more casual. It's just going to be sort of every couple couple of months we we read a book and we talk about we get on there on like a voice chat when it's done and talk about the book so pepper wanted to start this kind of true crime book club and so we're doing that in the first book if those of you either want to become a patron and join us or read along and then in a couple of months when you know when we talk about the book you know you'll you'll know what we're talking about the book is called hell's half acre it's the untold story of the benders america's first serial killer family and the author is susan and i don't know how to pronounce her last name so i'll just say j-o-n-u-s-a-s jonasus Jonasus, something like that. So a suspense-filled tale of murder on the American frontier, shedding new light on a family of serial killers in Kansas whose horrifying crimes gripped the attention of a nation still reeling from war. And, you know, it's 1873 type of deal. It says that it's a journey into the turbulent heart of 19th century America, a place where modernity, because you can imagine the culture be very different, so that'd be really interesting. Modernity stalks across the landscape, violently displacing existing populations and building new ones. It was a world where folklore can quickly become fact and an entire family of criminals can slip through a community's fingers only to reappear in the most unexpected of places. So 
we're going to read that. And I'm excited about that. And I wanted to mention it to everyone so that if you wanted to kind of join along and then sometime in November, we're going to do, we'll do a voice chat with our patrons, but then also talk about it on the show. So that's what's up. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. All right. I'm looking at this right now. It looks interesting. Yeah. I believe, you know, Pepper's Choice was based on kind of wanting to read and talk about something that isn't tread over 145 times, you know? Sure. She reads a lot of true crime in general, all the stuff you've heard of, but also, you know, is interested in, in stories that, you know, people might not actually know about yet. So there's some patrons that are thinking that's cool, so we're going to read it. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for listening. I think uh, we both recommend you see the Netflix documentary, I Just Killed My Dad, as it's an interesting story and, and certainly some psychological context there for you to make your own opinion. And if you want to let us know, you know, hit us up, let us know what you thought. Thanks so much for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and, and join join our patron if you would like to support us. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.